0: Hey, good morning, everybody. It uh, it's feels pretty safe to say that summer is finally here. We'll, we'll see, right? But uh, we're into June, and how many of you guys are like me? You love the summer season. How many of you guys are you're more of winter, like that you're, you love the cold weather and warming up by a fire? My wife and I battle with this, because uh, when we lived in Texas for just a, a handful of years, um, she would turn the air conditioner on in the winter so that she could turn the fireplace on. Because she loved you realize what that cost me, right <laughs> but uh, we we battle a little bit uh, with loving the winter months and loving the summer months, but um, really, for me, I think the way that I could possibly articulate it best is i um, I might be a little bit of a, of a different um, you might call me an oddball, and I know some of you probably have, but I like new seasons, whatever the season is, I actually like new seasons. I like change. Now that does make me kind of weird because not very many people like change. Most people like consistency. I get kind of bored with the same things. Um, Maintenance is what I call it. How many guys are like that? Anybody else in this room like that? You, You get a little bit tired of maintenance and you like to see things shifting and changing. Well, so my nature, the way that I am, maybe the way that God wired me is that I actually like new seasons. I like a lot of different seasons, but primarily I like new seasons. Now I say that because we're stepping into a new season. South Suburban stepping into a new season. Um, looks like all the information is ready to be submitted for the search for a, a new senior pastor. And what that does is that starts the ball rolling and it starts the clock ticking as we get ready to step into another new season. New seasons aren't anything to be afraid of. New seasons are simply that. They're new. A lot of people have asked me just in the, the last few months what my family's plans are for this next season. and In fact, there were some who thought that this was, a, um, this was kind of a career path for me that I traveled around doing interim roles. And while there are people who do that, and God bless them, that's not... That's not the case for us. Um, That's not the case in our situation. When we stepped into this role about 18 months ago, we knew what our next season was going to be. Now, still, it's not quite defined. We're in the same kind of situation. We know there's something new in front of us, but it's still a little bit blurry. Does that make anybody nervous? My family is extremely nervous right now. Because the details are still forming, we're preparing to plant a church in North Colorado Springs that's been our plan for the last two and a half years now as we've done a lot of prep work getting ready for it um, in, in the community that we feel God moved us into, very north side of Colorado Springs. But my family certainly gets new seasons. There's a lot of nervousness on our part. Um, I think sometimes churches forget, and I say this hopefully for the benefit of the next person that stands behind this pulpit in, a, in a, hopefully just a, a handful of months. It's going to be somebody new to you. And you're going to be consumed with the thoughts of there's so much change going on. But I, I want to give you just a real quick snapshot into the life of the Tanton family over the last 18 months. We left our church We left our circle of friends. We left our style of ministry. We left a lot of security. We left a lot of relationships to step into a brand new church, a brand new setting, brand new people where you had a lot of things that stayed the same. I was the one representation of change for you. And I stood behind the pulpit and you looked at me and you said, he's different. And that was the kindest words that some of you spoke. Some of you chose other words. But you said he's different. There's there's change. There wasn't a single place that my family went for the last year and a half that wasn't different. All the people were different. The location was different. The style was different. Everything changed for us. You're going to be inviting somebody to stand behind this pulpit. And when they do everything in their life will have changed. They will be the one representation of change for you, and everything else will be pretty consistent. But everything in their life will have changed. And I I pray dearly that you guys will hold on to that perspective of what you're inviting somebody into. It's beautiful, and yet it's, it's extremely nervous. And so we're nervous, and in the same moment that you guys were going through change in this church, So was my whole family. And now a new season is in front of us, and guess what? We're doing it together again. We're doing it together again. Probably paths that look very different, but at the same time, you guys will be going through change and through transition as a church, and so will my family. So there's this new season in front of us all, and just like last season, and remember, I'm a new season kind of guy. Just like this last season, it means that there's going to be a lot of change. And we need to be okay with that. It doesn't mean that we all get excited. I don't expect you to have the same kind of personality that I do. But it is something that we need to get comfortable with. And in those seasons of change and transition, we all need to perform a a motive check. What's our motives? Are we trying to create what we want? Because if we do, things don't work out well that way. If we're trying to see our way pushed through, if we're trying to see our vision and our goals accomplished, they don't always work out that way, and that's really not the call of a Christ follower anyway. We're to pursue His will, His plans, His purposes in our life, in the church, especially when it comes to his church. So we can be certain that change is going to happen. I heard a pastor a few months ago talk about how change is unkind to the unprepared. Change is unkind to the unprepared. It doesn't mean, again, that you have to be all excited about it, but you do need to anticipate that change will will come. And if we're not prepared for it, it's going to be very difficult for us to be able to embrace. Here's one of the things that we do know. When change is in the air, people generally try to find something familiar to cling to. In other words, when things around you are changing, you look for something unchanging to find security in. Have you seen that in your life before? When things around you start to change, that you lean towards something that you feel is very secure and constant, and you can kind of find some security in that. At least... This is going to stay the same. How many of you guys have ever said that before? <laughs> well, at least we'll still have this person, or at least it's still going to function like this. At least um, the cross is still going to be hung over the pulpit. <laughs> and things change, don't they? And I'm, I'm not trying to be rude to anybody, but more of like, oh, you're right. <laughs> cross is on the back wall. Change happens. We just need to be prepared the best we can so that it's not unkind to us. And so we're entering into this this new season, and it should be an exciting season. There should be an anticipation. But you know the same anticipation creates nervousness also. (laughs) You're excited, but there's still a lot of unknowns that are happening. Scripture is really clear that there's only one thing that does not change. And that's our Creator. Creator. That's our God. He's unchanging. If there's one thing for us to cling to, it's the Lord. Clinging to anything else is going to cause stress. It's going to cause frustration. And quite honestly, it's going to cause division within the body of Christ. Clinging to anything else is not going to be healthy for us. So let me give you a few examples of some unfortunate things that churches will cling to, and I've probably been the master of this, and when I say master, it's kind of like when Paul said, the chief of all sinners. (laughs) We cling to styles of ministry. This is how we've always done it. I had to purge that phrase from my personal vocabulary because I've messed up so many times in my career on defaulting back to what I've always done because it worked one time Right, I had a really good friend who uh, was a, uh, he, he's a doctor, a, a fairly wealthy guy, but struggles financially because he found himself in a gambling habit, and it was because the very first time he went gambling, he won a lot of money, and then he never won again. Just because something works one time doesn't mean you can bet your life on it. Doesn't mean you can bet your ministry or your church on it. Just because it worked for a season it doesn't mean that it's going to work for the next season. That's typically not how God operates. Typically, God does new things all the time. So we can't limit ourselves to the way that God did things in the past. Um, a former church that I worked at um, was hired to, uh, to lead a young adult ministry. My wife and I started our career in ministry, leading college students. And God really just blessed the, the ministry and opened the door for us to step out of being school teachers and into full-time ministry and, and being, uh, being a pastor. So we'd experienced some success. <laughs> and you know what that does? You know what success does? It makes you overconfident sometimes because you think you figured it out, right? We experienced some, some, uh, some success And we were hired at a larger church to lead their young adult ministry and came into this church. And the way that they had done young adult ministry in the past was not working anymore. But guess what else didn't work? The way I had done young adult ministry in the past. Right? So we were left with quite a pickle. Guess what we had to do? Absurd as it sounds, we had to go to the Lord and say, God, what do you want us to do? I mean, Who would ever think of that in a church? God, what do you want us to do? Because what we did in the past isn't working, and what this pastor did in the past isn't working. Oh, you want to do something new here. God, what does that look like? See, styles of ministry change all the time, and, and quite honestly, they need to Um, Here's another one. You guys are going to think that I'm really picking on you because you've made so many comments about this. Uh, But this is actually very, very true in in areas where I've struggled as well. Things that we hold on to, things that we cling to, how things look, how we look, the clothes that we wear, the style of of decor. Um, I feel like in my personal life, I've never gotten this right because nobody's ever been happy with what I wear. My kids aren't happy with what I wear right now. When I was doing young adult ministry, guess who, was I, who I was surrounded by? A bunch of college students, and I was not near trendy enough for them because my jeans did not come with holes in them already. Listen, I'm not dogging them at all Every generation has its style of clothing to wear. I can look in this room and as many people who have talked about the fact that I don't wear a suit or I don't wear a jacket every single week, um, I see a lot of different clothing styles represented in this room today. And guess what? They're typically attached to generations. Right? So here's what I did when I walked around um, and I had a lot of people, um, even from that point on, I, I was not I was not young and trendy enough in that setting and then in a different church and, and in this church. I'm not old and traditional enough. I don't wear, um, I don't wear suits and stuff like that. And, and I just want to be free to, to be me. I want to be free to be kind of a part of my generation and wear the clothes that, that I like. We teach our kids. We go to our closet. We pick out our best clothes. Some of you may not believe these are my best clothes. <laughs> these are my best clothes in my closet, you know? That's what it is. I'd rather put more money in the offering than to put more money in a, in a store to buy a suit. i would be real honest with you. I don't care about wearing a suit, but I'd rather take that money and put it in an offering and see it build an orphanage or reach, reach people. That's my perspective on it. But I don't always get it right, that's for sure. Um, I think one of the things we struggle with is that we think if we hold on to our clothes long enough that they'll eventually come back in style, Right? <laughs> Same with our hairdo, our hairdos. Um, I was, I was making fun of some making fun of, I guess that's really what it was. I was making fun of some, some young adults, some friends of mine. And one of the guys had what they call a man bun. You've seen those. I was like, man, that, what is that thing on top of your head? He goes, oh, don't even start with me. I saw your high school pictures and your mullet. Right? Like, our hairstyles vary. Anybody else have a mullet back in the day? You don't even have to raise your hand. That was unfair of me to ask. <laughs> styles change all the time. We we cling to styles sometimes. We grab a hold of those things when change is happening and transition is in the air, we grab a hold of styles because we don't want the style to change. And so that happens with our clothing. It happens with the decor around. Those are things that we, we say, well, at least he didn't move the cross or at least the pulpit is still the same pulpit. You remember the, the things that have changed in the last 18 months that we struggle with. <clears throat> My... Uh, My great, let me get this right, my great, great, great grandfather was a pastor. Um, I have a picture of him at home. used to have a smaller one that I'd photocopied and carried in my wallet for anybody who um, told me that I wasn't dressed appropriately and uh, would pull it out and I would show them a picture of this guy from the 1800s and the clothing that was appropriate during that generation. And not a single one of you guys would ever dare to wear those clothes. Because clothing always changes, we can't cling to those things. When transition is is upon us, when change is in the air, we have to make sure that we're grabbing a hold of the the right things, the unchanging things. Here's another one, and my wife and I have wrestled with this one: music genres, how you do music in church. Everybody has their opinion on it. Well, this is what real church music sounds like. I've heard people in this congregation say that. I've heard people in other churches say that as well. It's not just South Suburban. Part of my disconnect and the the struggle that my wife and I have is my wife grew up on gospel music, and I grew up on Guns N' Roses. I mean, when when you talk about how um, opposites attract, that was certainly the case, right? Our style of worship looks a lot different, and my wife is more of a choir person, and I'm more of an air guitar person, and, and you know, drumming, that's, that's kind of how I worship. You'll see me drumming on the seat in front of me, and personal preferences. During change and transitions, we can't cling to personal preferences. Do you know that there used to be a season when no instruments were allowed in the church? And there was a huge revolt in like the 1600s when they introduced, wait for it, the organ into churches. It caused major controversy. How would you allow a devil's instrument? That was the perspective at, at the time. Music styles changed so much over the years. So whether you have a, a traditional service style or a contemporary service style, Um, the church that we spent the the previous eight years at before coming here was a a step newer than that, called a modern music style. Music styles change, and and there's going to be something that comes along after that. We can't cling to the things that change. In a season of transition, we have to center ourselves on the unchanging person of God, Now that, I would hope, would just elicit an amen. We center ourselves on the unchanging person of God. Here's how a lot of church leaders will articulate the difference between changing and unchanging when it comes to ministry. They differentiate between the mission of the church and the method of the church. The mission is what we do while the method is how we do it. The mission is unchanging and the method should be always changing. So you could say it this way the mission of the church is to bring Jesus to the world. It's the mission of the church, it is unchanging. The method, the how, is something that must work within the culture. So the mission is unchanging, the method should always be changing. There's a story of some medical missionaries that had gone to an indigenous tribe bringing um, really some life-saving medicine to this tribe. And they couldn't get the tribe to take the medicine because they had it in syringes. It was something that they had never seen before. It was something they were completely unfamiliar with. They couldn't get this tribe to take this life-giving medicine until one of the missionaries took the medicine and poured it in one of their cups, presented it to something that they were used to, that they were comfortable with. It changed everything and the tribe took the medicine. The contents of what was in that cup never changes. But the cup has to change in every culture you go to. You have to find a cup that people say, I'll listen, I'll receive it, I'll take that. It's a beautiful picture, I believe, of what ministry needs to look like. Not just in seasons of transition, but always. That we're always asking, what is it going to take for this culture today to receive the unchanging mission of this church? Who Jesus is. What he offers us in the form of salvation. The gospel of grace. How do we Get them to receive that. What is it going to take? What is it going to take? It's a great illustration of the mission and method of ministry. So if the mission of the church is to bring the contents to the world, and that is unchanging, and the method is to find the right cup that works in that culture, you could say it this way, the cup changes often, but the contents never change so when you're in a season of transition, you're needing to reevaluate. It's a perfect opportunity to say, Lord, what does that cup need to look like in this next season? What does it need to look like? See, the challenge is that there's a lot of churches who are going through transitions right now, but they're clinging to their methods rather than to the mission. This is how we've always done it. And what worked 30 years ago is very unlikely to work in just about every area of life today. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. You've heard of the, the, uh, the company Kodak. Kodak hit it big with, with the uh, Polaroid camera. Remember them? But they had a hard time shifting to the new digital camera culture. And they were going to stick to their guns. Sticking to their guns caused them to file for bankruptcy. They weren't willing to change because they wanted to stick to their method. You've also heard of Blockbuster. Blockbuster Video was the largest home movie um, company in the industry. Closed all their doors because they were sticking to their method of these big stores with all of the DVDs that you could drive to and rent from. They wanted to stick to their method Bankrupt, closed every single door, every single store in America. Methods need to always change. Mission does not. Mission is constant. Mission is steady. Mission is the the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we don't unite under a method. We unite underneath our mission. And we articulate that in a lot of different ways. One of them is what we call our essentials of faith. This is what we believe. This is not about how we do it. This is the what. It's not the how. We unite underneath our essentials. And the purpose of this series that we're stepping into now is to look at those key beliefs. What we're uniting under is a church. These are the essentials of our faith. Because what we unite underneath, what we cling to is extremely important and it cannot be overstated there are core beliefs, the essentials we believe in. And there's this timeless saying that you may have heard before. It goes like this In the essentials, unity. In the non essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And there's some uncertainty on the original author of those words. But I want to pull something out of that statement as we step into this series. And that is this there must be unity in the essentials of our faith. There must be unity in the essentials of our faith. And it's not that we just know what they are, but that we must understand them. You would not believe how many times over the course of 20 years in ministry that I've had somebody walk up to me and say, now what do we believe about that again? What is our position on that again? Listen, as Christ followers who are growing and maturing in our faith, It's important for us not to just know these and memorize these, but to understand them fully. Because this is what draws unity. This is, if we understand, if we know them and understand them, we can be united together underneath them. It's something to cling to. Not the method, but the mission. This is what we cling to. And so what we're going to do today is just look very briefly at these today. We'll dive deeper into them over the course of the next few weeks here and um, you're going to hear from some of your favorite preachers, Drew, Joe, and Michael, um, over the course of the next, um, over this series as well, as these guys, along with myself, as we do some team teaching, you get to hear multiple perspectives. But it's going to be really important for us to understand these essentials. We don't want to have a, a list that we put on our wall somewhere, and we say, that's what we believe in. And for us to be walking around saying, now what do we believe about that again? Let's, let's dive into it. So today, let's, let's run through them real quick. I've categorized these. Um, you're going to see everything that we have there, but I've ca- categorized these into four key areas that we're going to be tackling over um, this next season here. The first one is the Bible, the Word of God. Our statement is this, the Bible is the inspired and authoritative Word of God. It's what we believe it's part of our essentials. Well, what does that mean when you unpack that? How do you apply the Word of God to your life? Is it really the final authority for Christian living? Well, that's what we profess. So we're going to dive into that and the fact that, that it, it becomes the blueprint for Christian living. The reason that I put this first is, is because what we've come to believe about the rest of these is largely in part to what we read in the Word of God. And if we discount that or we discredit the Word of God, then where do we stand on the rest of these? What's our our merit for it? It's because we've read it in God's Word. That's the only reason why I I put it at the top here. The second one is this, our perspective on God or the Trinity. Here's our statement. There is one God existing in three persons. God the Father, His only Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be looking at God the Father. We're going to be looking at Jesus Our belief about Jesus, who he is, is just the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Our position, our belief about Jesus is the foundation that everything else circles around. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, it's important, was crucified on a cross for our sins, didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And in doing that, he brought us the offer of new life. And then the the third one on this, underneath God in the Trinity, is the Holy Spirit. Part of the Godhead, part of the the Trinity, Holy Spirit resides in every person that's been redeemed by God, that's given themselves over to, to Jesus and asked him to become the Lord of their life. The Holy Spirit dwells within us then, and he encourages us, he empowers us, and he guides believers of Jesus. The third thing is our position on salvation. What do we believe about salvation? Here's our statement We're saved only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I like how Martin Luther summarized it when he said, By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the foundation of of our our belief about salvation. We're going to dive into that. Number four is the church. What role do we play as the church? We're sent into the world to lead people to know and love Jesus Christ as he loves us, as we love one another. Well, here's the three pieces that come underneath that. Outreach, we're not supposed to be a group of people who just stay within the walls of this building. We're actually supposed to live on behalf of the world outside of us, going after them in the name of Jesus Scripture talks about this, this uh, ministry of reconciliation that Jesus has given us now. He helped reconcile us to the Father, back to God, and now he gives us that ministry to see other people reconciled. Our existence can't be centered around these walls and what happens within just this body. It can't just be internal. That's important because community is a value. It's part of what we're called to be. Part of what we're called to do as a church, love one another, reflect God's love, the love that he extended to us that we're showing that same love to one another, developing strong relationships, praying for one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, being there with one another, outreach and community important. And then what we just call our observances. This is what we do as the church. There's two things that we observe on a regular basis here. One of them is that we celebrate communion And the other is baptism. Those are things that we believe in, things that we hold dear to us. Put them in those four categories. What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about salvation? What do we believe about the church? Those are really important for us to have a good, solid grasp on. And so as we move into this season where things around us will change, and they need to, There are some things that we can grab a hold of that are unchanging. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. Something that we can unite underneath. Something that we as a church can really rally to and see some health and some unity happen when we say these things, these are our core beliefs. This is what we are united in. We might differ on our perspectives or our opinions on music style or clothes or different kinds of ministry. We might differ on those. That's okay. But we're united in these essentials. And so this is what we're jumping into over the course of the next couple of months. We're going to be looking at these essentials of our faith. And I want to encourage you to do more than just show up and listen to sermons. I want to encourage you to invest yourself in this through prayer, through personal study, that you would really take it upon yourself to, to go to the Lord and say, God, I want to, to really understand these. And I don't want a person on a platform to tell me what it means. I want your Holy Spirit to speak to me. See, there is a, re- a responsibility on, on your part of going to the Lord yourself and saying, God, I need you to teach me. Your voice needs to be louder than Patrick's. Your voice needs to be louder than Michael's. Your voice needs to be louder than Drew's or Joe's. God, your voice needs to be the one that we hear above everything else. This morning, I'm gonna wrap up here and we're gonna move into our our time of uh, communion and uh, just an opportunity to respond to the Lord. And I wanna just encourage you as strongly as I can I'm just saying, if there's something that we unite under, if there's something that we cling to in this season, let it be the unchanging person of God. Let it be these essentials that we, we call core beliefs. And let that be the thing that we rally to and we unite underneath. We're going to find enough differences among us that it could cause chaos, different personal preferences that will begin to surface if we're not careful and it would cause confusion and disunity. And there's one thing that God commands of his church in scripture. He he actually commands unity. Be united. And Jesus actually prayed for that too for the church. Unite them. Draw them together, Father. And that's my prayer for this church as we both move forward into a season of change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, your consistency, your unchanging character, who you are. You're you're a rock that we cling to. Never moves, never changes. God, we're grateful for that, that we have that security, we have that confidence. And Lord, we open ourselves to your will and your way in our lives and in this church God, may your plans and your purposes be accomplished in us and through us, we pray. And as we dive into these essentials, Lord, we pray that you'd open up your heart and you'd reveal yourself in a greater measure than we've ever experienced in our own lives. And we do pray the same thing that your son Jesus prayed when we say, God, unite us together as your church. And we pray these things. In his name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.